You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, a lighthearted podcast that takes a revealing look at a career in the entertainment industry, featuring stories and interviews with those on stage and backstage, on screen and behind the scenes. I'm Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this is Why I'll Never Make It. Hello, Patrick here. Thanks for joining me on another episode. I hope you've had a good week. Mine has been pretty good so far. It's uh, been full of uh, rehearsals for a show that I'm doing, as well as a few auditions and even callbacks thrown in. So I'm having a pretty good week myself, but I certainly wanted to take a little time and bring you another episode. You know, one of the wonderful things about living in New York is the subway. Now, not the actual subway experience itself. The MTA, as it's called, is... uh, I'll just be honest, it's a pretty crappy organization, and they don't really run the subway that well. But when it is running, being on the subway is actually a a pretty good thing. You know, it's better than having to drive yourself everywhere, because driving in the city would be pretty crazy. And it gives you a chance to listen to music, listen to podcasts, hello, as well as read books, read articles, and stuff like that. And one of the things that I happened to read up this past week was a couple of articles dealing with the placebo effect. One was on CNN, and the other was in Psychology Today. Uh, CNN just did theirs uh, last month, and Psychology Today was actually from a couple of years ago, but they were both dealing with the placebo button. That button that we press, whether it's the pedestrian crosswalk or the close the door button or thermostat controls, there are a lot of buttons in our lives that have no purpose other than giving us the illusion of control. And these buttons aren't connected to the actual system that we think they are sometimes. It's basically a way for us to, we're in a hurry, so we press the button. You've probably done this yourself. Say you're waiting at an elevator, you see the light on, yet you press it again. This is the placebo effect. It's, it's a way for us to feel like we're in control. Same with that pedestrian crosswalk button. They, they said in this article that thousands, thousands of these pedestrian buttons are no longer connected to anything. They're from a bygone era when traffic was less and we as pedestrians could actually control traffic. Now it's all on a computer algorithm and based on a timing that has nothing to do with who's standing at a crosswalk. But these buttons remain and psychologists are saying that they give us a sense of control, they give us a sense of I'm doing something, I'm taking charge, and even though it's a minute later when that door closes on the elevator, when that green man says walk, then we get the sensation, the feeling that I was in control, I helped make that happen. And it just reinforces the behavior over and over again. So what does any of this have to do with performing or being in the arts? Well, the placebo effect is often what I feel like auditions are like. Do you feel like this? Do you feel that you go into auditions time and time again, you do the same thing, you're pushing the same buttons, you're, you're, producing the same song types, character types, motivations, choices. You're doing 
kind of the same things over and over again. And then we finally get cast, so it's like, well, that must have been it. So I need to keep doing that. So we keep doing the same thing over and over again. But then seven other times, eight other times, we don't get cast. But that one time is the one that reinforces what we do. And often it just feels like the auditions are leading us nowhere, are leading us down, I don't know, that we're just filling time, that it's not really accomplishing anything. And so for me, I go to these auditions, I keep showing up. So, you know, it just reinforces me going back again and again and again. Is this something that you find as well? It doesn't ruin the experience of the audition, but to me it just puts it in a perspective of how little control I really have when I step back and think about it. As much as I go to these auditions, a lot of times they're just a perfunctory exercise of being a performer and don't really lead to any real action. Now we get to the reason I am still here. And I share some of my personal experiences when it comes to auditioning or performing or directors I've worked with, composers, different things. And so professionally, I've certainly shared some of my life, but I haven't shared a lot of my personal life. And one of the biggest things, if not, <laughs> not just recently, but in my life has occurred is I just got married. And thank you. I know you're thinking congratulations. So thank you. Um, I just got married, and he and I have been together for two years. One of the reasons now that I am still here is because of him, is because of a relationship. And, you know, whenever you're single, I mean, think about it. Whenever you've been single, then life is just kind of like you're doing whatever you want. You're going out. You're doing the auditions. You know, everything's kind of on your own. You're solo. And it, 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 can be, it can be fun because you have a lot of freedom when it comes to your time. But also, whenever you book that job, whenever you have a great audition, whenever you don't have a great audition, you know, you can call up your best friend, but there's no one there that's every day, all the time, that's there for you to share those ups and downs with. But now that I have him then the reason I'm still here is because he supports me. He encourages me. And then there's also just the function of now I'm with someone else and I need to pull my own weight financially, uh, professionally, uh, in, in the sense that now both of us have pooled our resources together and we have to make a living. We have to pay for rent. We have to pay for clothes and food and, and whatnot. So he is now a big reason, a big motivator that keeps me going. And whether it's a temp job or whether it's being an extra, just, you know, back, 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 way back in the, the back of a crowd scene uh, extra, whatever it is that I can do to make money, to bring something into this relationship, to keep busy, then I do that. When Before, when I was on my own, I didn't really think about that. It's like, okay, I, I, I work, I save up, and then I'm able to kind of keep myself going until the next job and so on and so on. But now I have to not just wait till the next job, I have to fill my time between these jobs. And in some ways, that's a bit more pressure on me to not only book work, but just keep working. It's also a joyous reason why I want to work. 
and that is for him, for us, to provide and bring everything I can into the relationship in order for us to be the most productive, the most financially sound, and the most together that we can be. Up next, we have one of my favorite people in the world, Mike Ortella. And he is not only a great performer, but just a wonderful person all around. He's one of the one of the funniest and most easygoing people, but he has this energy about him that is always infectious whenever I'm around him. And it's always a great time whenever he and I get a chance to hang out and be together. Well, recently we had one of those chances and he came over to my apartment and we just sat down and talked. He talks about shows that he's been in and shows that he's looking forward to doing, but also what about those times between shows and juggling a family and making sure that his son is a priority in his life. So all of these things come together into the life that is Mike Wartella. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Of course, buddy. No problem. So uh, let's just get the ball rolling. What is it that that first introduced you or got you interested in theater itself? Um, Yeah, I was pretty lucky. I guess lucky in quotes, right? Lucky or unlucky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. air quotes quotes. in that. Uh, In that my parents were both actors growing up. So they were both like... Theater? Yeah, theater. Like more on the amateur scene back home. I grew up in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. And they were... um, like doing a lot of regional and community theater back then. And mm-hmm. so I think the first show I did, I was three years old. Oh, I was wow. in Christmas Carol as Tiny Tim. Didn't we all have a Christmas Carol? I think I, so. I think every actor had that Christmas Carol experience. Oh, yeah, because I did point. it then. And then eventually in my professional career, did it at the Denver Center and played like other roles. And so I just always think of it as the the seasonal favorite. Yeah, yeah my, my first Christmas Carol was in high school doing like a radio show version. So oh. it was like a 1940s radio with That's sound fun. effects and yes. everything and everyone rushes up to the mic. So and... you've always been in this profession. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that was my first attempt at it. And, you know, uh, my parents like never pushed me into it in any kind of professional way. I think they just saw that I had an interest in it. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't think of it. I thought of it as a hobby through most of school. It was the thing, you know, I'm... I was picked on a lot as a kid because I was short. And so the way I got out of that was to be the class clown and making jokes. Make them laugh. You know, make them yeah. laugh and get right. on stage and do the stuff no one will do. And um, and so I I really liked it. And then it wasn't until I was like 14, 15. I was doing, you know, high school musicals and things like that. And uh, we took a class trip down to New York to see Rent on Broadway. Uh-huh. And I think it was a couple years after the original cast. Um, and that blew me away. I already knew the, the soundtrack a little bit, mm-hmm. but when I saw that, I was like, if I can do that professionally, right. that's it. Because that wasn't, you know, I grew up on a lot of the classics, and I loved the classics. I loved 42nd Street. Right, and Rent was a, a departure from all that totally, for you. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, that was kind of the moment I got the bug and then said, all right, I'm going to spend the rest of my high school career like, like gearing up mentally for... Broadway and, you know, hoping to get into a theater school and all that. Before seeing Rent, was it no. a thought? Was it an interest? Did you... I mean, honestly, looking back, it probably was always the only thing I was ever going to do. <laughs> right, <laughs> You know, right. but I, did, I think when you're a kid, you just don't think about any of that. I think when people used to ask me, 
I remember this. When I was like three, people would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? Right. I was like, I'm going to be fireman. But by five, it had already shifted to, I'm going to be a stuntman, which I still haven't gotten. A stuntman? I want to be a stuntman. Now, where did cool. that come from? I just saw them doing all the cool stuff in movies, and I was like, I want to do that. I want to jump off a building. Exactly. Right. And then by like seven, it was like, well, I want to be an actor who does his own stunts. Which is really probably too mature an answer <laughs> for a seven-year-old. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think I just always maybe knew somewhere down deep. So then you saw Rend. Mm-hmm. And so what, and you said that clicked something in your brain. What made you want to I think it was the, the, the rock and roll element. I really think it was like, because I also, another thing my parents were doing growing up was they were children's folk musicians. They toured oh. the country. My stepdad is David Grover and he had a little following for years and my mom was in the band with him. They would tour. And so I grew up like, like I know a lot of my friends say they learned how to sing in church. I learned how to sing like as a kid in the recording studio doing harmonies to like folk albums. Oh, so you would like join in on the recordings? Yeah, totally. Oh, totally. okay. Because he wanted that kid. It was very sort of, um, he toured with Arlo Guthrie back in the day, but mm-hmm. he was very sort of, what was that guy's name? Rafi. He sort of had that vibe. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was, he always wanted the kids chorus and I would do duets huh. with him and all these things and and you know it was very James Taylor very so you have really had no option but to be a performer I grew up with these performing you know parents Um, but again the cool thing about them was that nobody in my family was ever doing it for the money which none of us have any money so that makes sense but like you know they were they were doing it for the craft and so it was never about like go do it and be famous it was just like it's what we had to do. So did they have side jobs themselves or were oh, they yeah. kind of eking yeah. out a living? No, my, my mom and dad were both uh, waiters. You know, they were making like 20000 a year for most of my childhood. Wow. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. You know, and that's what, and then they did all this stuff for free, basically. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, that was just their passion, their totally. their side hustle, their side exactly. gig, basically. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, so, so when I saw Rent, it was like the combination of the, the music style that I wasn't as used to. I mean, I knew Jesus Christ Superstar. I actually remember seeing Tommy when I was little. That really right. affected me. Yeah. So I was already in that mode of like, oh, I love this genre. But when I saw that, and it was so, at the time, kind of modern and like spoke to our generation, mm-hmm. I was like, I think it's probably what kids felt when they saw Spring Awakening like 10 years ago, you know? Right, right. It, it, it was, it was like something that was completely new and kind of was a splash on the scene mm-hmm. as exactly. opposed to what, was, what else was on Broadway yeah. at so, the time. you know, it just got me all revved up and, and that was it. Because of that rock sound, that made you want to think, well, if that can be on Broadway, then that's yeah. what I want to do. Yeah, I think that's what it, exactly what it was. It was yeah. like, you know, I, I, I by then already was kind of excited about like, well, maybe I'll go do, you know, the tap shows and the this, which I sometimes do too. But as, you know, my friends always say, like, it's not my strong suit. It's just not. <laughs> oh, please, please. <laughs> you know, hey, no, but you're doing it. <laughs> well, no, no one goes to see a show to see me dance. or Well, well they're not going to see me tap because my feet just don't make that. They fair. don't move in that way. Well, there yeah. you go. I know. Yeah, same with me. Same yeah. with me. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, but that I love to do. And I really wanted to, you know, rock was, was really kind of I think at that point it was almost like taking over Broadway and kind of starting that I mean there was always a place for it but it really became much more in fashion right around the Rent era yeah I, th- I think because of Rent's message and also yeah. because of its unique sound yep and and the totally. story behind its creation and everything to do with it mm-hmm. yeah I just think it made an impact in a way that other rock musicals had had been more like a oh well that's that's a one off that's exactly. an oddity it's an interesting yeah. but musical theater was still it was still classic yeah, yeah, yeah. It was still more classical traditional or, or or epic at the time like Phantom and Les Mis yep. and that kind of that thing that was the trend we were um, in yeah True. so 
did you have any idea that it was going to be this hard, <laughs> no. hard no. road? <laughs> no, nobody tells you. I mean, they tell you and you don't believe them. That's really what it yeah. is. I, I, it's funny you say that because I say that to people all the time. I teach a lot of classes now at like colleges and I say that all the time where I'm like, you think it's going to be hard. It's so much harder than you think it's going to be. Like whatever yeah. you think it is, prepare for much worse. You yes. Know? And I, you know, again, that's not everyone's story. A lot of people have a really easy, quick ride. A lot of people, it goes smoothly for them, or it's a, it's a wonderful, enjoyable process. But I think a, a majority of us share the fact that, like, there's years of paying your dues. Mm-hmm. There's years of being poor and starving. I'm still poor and starving. I feel like, you know, what I mean, <laughs> like, it's like there's, it's just New York is so hard yeah. to live in, to pay your rent, to to pay your bills, to like eat. It's like you know, and and even if you like have money, if you come to New York with money. There's still the energy around it. You have to get on the subway. You have to walk in the streets. You have to deal with the people screaming at each other and, you know, beating. I was on the street the other day walking through, like, this fight. I was in the middle of this huge, like, fight. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. good to see you, gents. I was actually doing an event near Times Square, and I was walking through, and this one guy was in this other guy's face because he was wearing a red hat. Yep. You know? That's all Wearing takes. a red cap, and, th- and he went off on that. So for me, I feel like not only was the city hard to live in when I got here, but then, of course, the business is just hard to break into. It's hard for anybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I told someone the other day that I had this sort of grand fantasy notion when I was 18 and I was leaving for, you know, college. And I, I packed up my car and I was driving to New York and I was literally in my head thinking, okay, so I'll go to college for two years and then as soon as I get out, I'll get rent on Broadway by like 20. It'll be great. Because that's how it works. that's what I was going to do, you know? <laughs> and it was 10 years after I moved to New York that I had my Broadway debut and it was maybe eight years after I graduated school. Mm. And that I think is still relatively early for a lot of people. Like I'm lucky that it happened at that point. Um, I'm at the 10-year mark now. There you go. Yeah. Well, that so, means it's right around the corner. So, so that means it's coming, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. But I mean, it was like I was, you know, auditioning at open calls as a non-union person waiting in line until six, in the, you know, from six in the morning. And um, and then even after getting my equity card, which was a huge boost, I then was still doing the standard sort of open call audition thing, which is you go to the right, equity Right, right. It, it does you know? bump you up yes. a, a level. But at the time, you know, you still had to show up early in the morning because oh, yeah. those who got there earliest got, got an, an appointment slot Absolutely. for the audition. And the trick I used to tell people was that I wouldn't go in often for the big, big shows. Like, I wouldn't go in for the Wicked's and the, like, Phantoms and stuff back then because there'd just be 400 people there. Right. But I would go in for, like, Flat Rock Playhouses doing Little Shop and there'd be, yeah. like... You know, 150 people would be like a little less, and so you'd usually get an appointment. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was still, it was always, you know, touch and go with everything. Yeah. I think I booked one thing in that time period. It was like a play somewhere, but it was hard for sure. And I went to hundreds. I mean, it was like, that's well, the yeah, thing they always say. When you say. first move here, that that's what you have to do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And then I got an agent a couple of years after that, which was great, and sort of, you know, by many, many steps and luck. And I always feel bad. People are like, even friends of mine or like you know um college kids are like well how do you get an agent and i'm like i i don't know no, there's no, no way I, to do it i get the same question and for me i happened to know someone who knew someone in vegas when i was working there yeah. who got me into an agent and that agent happened to have an office in new york yeah and so and so then when i came to new york i at least had an interview an audition for totally. that agent and then all the others have just been a cold email. I literally just yeah. email them. Yeah. And cross my fingers. Yeah, totally. I've done that. Because you never know. It's it's totally random. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's one thing that is so tough about this business. Mm-hmm. And is 
one of the uncontrollable factors yeah. is that there's so much like luck and you just kind of throw things out there whether it's uh, whether it's an email to an agent whether it's a hoping to show up at six o'clock in the morning to get yeah. an appointment well i agree and it's very like it's almost you know not to get too like meta on it but it's very oh, oh we like meta. we like that good yeah. then i'll yeah. go there okay i'm holding my crystals <laughs> let's light the incense <laughs> right we're dimming the lights yeah okay um but really it's like to me it, the universe works in a way that like the more you put out there the more you're gonna receive and so i think the hard part about the business is like there's really only so much we can do but there is a part of it we can do and that's going to the auditions that's pursuing the agents that's like doing you know i meet a lot of people and this i think is the hardest hardest thing about new york is that new york is hard like i said and you get your day job and you start bartending and before you know it you're drinking at the bar and you're there every night and you're like oh, i'll go to that audition next week and i'll do this next week and before you know it, it's been three years and you haven't been to an audition mm -hmm. you know but you moved here to be an actor and you're telling everyone you're an actor, but you're not an actor, you're a bartender, you know? And th that's not to say that, I mean, I've been through those phases too. There's no judgment in that world. It's hard. No, it, it just happens But to if some you of us. can keep a little bit of focus and like just, and just know that your purpose here is for the goal and you keep going at the goal, even if like you're just way off from it and it feels like it's a distant star in the distance. Like if you're going to the auditions, if you're meeting the right people, if you're going to the classes, doing whatever you have to do, I feel like then the universe will at some point open up and start giving it back to you, you know? And um, I think I've had a lot of people view even my story on both ends and be like, oh, well, he, he had a bunch of lucky breaks or like, oh, he really worked hard for it. And the truth is it's somewhere right in the middle. It's like, I mm -hmm. definitely didn't give up. I definitely continue to not give up when I want, you know, things to happen. But I also have had to throw my hands up to the universe and be like, whatever happens, you know, none of the jobs that kind of put me on the map in my career in any way were jobs that I thought I was going to get that I sometimes was even really like hopeful or excited to get. It was yeah. always the other thing. It was always like, well, I want Spider-Man to pan out, but oh, that didn't happen. But I guess I'm in Tuck Everlasting. Like it was like, you know, and then here, you know, and it turns out it was a much better experience for me than who knows what Spider-Man would have been, but yeah. Well, you might have you know. lost a limb. Exactly. That's what I was <laughs> right. Yeah. So you kept all your limbs. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that's that's a lot of it. It's just you know staying focused. Yeah, because that's that's one of the things that for me, you know, getting back to that, that mm -hmm. ten year thing that yeah. you were talking about. You know, I've been here ten years now, and when I first got here, it was a lot of well, I I know I'm going to make it. It's just a matter of when. You know. Yeah. So I, I held on to that belief and slaughtered that. But after 10 years, that, that belief can wane and it can wane. Like I, I was ready to move back to Orlando. You yeah, know, it, of course. It, it, it gets to that point where I, I don't want to feel like a failure, yeah. but I also want to be realistic and be like, well, if I don't do this that I've worked for and I wanted know. for these many, many years, then what, what's next? Have you thought oh, yeah. about what's oh, next yeah. or, or I mean, what, I, what else you would do? You said move back to Orlando. I was like, I remember wanting to move to Denver about five years ago. Like I was, because as you know, but they may not, I have a son who's 10 years old. Right. He's amazing. Um, which has also been a whole challenge trying to navigate the business and that. But one of the things was that when he was about five years old, me and his mom were having a hard time and we were like blaming most of our hard times together on New York and the business and my career and all that stuff. And I had made some really good connections out of Denver at this theater company. And I said, should I just call them and see if maybe I could be more full time at this theater? And she was like, yeah, do that. And we were like putting the wheels in motion. I had like almost signed a contract with this other theater to be a permanent company member of this theater and mm. move to Denver and like call it, you know, a day be like, that's it. Here it is. Wow. And I probably would have loved that, honestly. But, um, but either way, I then got a call for the rent off Broadway audition. 
and I had told my now ex-wife, you know, wife at the time, I had said, um, I'm not taking any more auditions. But when this audition came in, I was like, as you now know, it's, it's rent. The, it's rent. I was like, I've yeah. got to try to, and she's like, of course, just go. Yeah. And then I booked it. And I said, what do we do? And she's like, well, let's move to New York, silly. Let's go. You know, and so we did it. It eventually unraveled us and we split up and all right. that jazz. But, um, but it really was like, I was about to throw in the towel for sure. You know, and I still sometimes, I mean, you know, I go through that all the time where like, I'm exhausted with New York and quite honestly, like I'm ready to go to LA or somewhere else where it's warm, you know, but things are happening for me here still. And I still love what we do so much like, right. that, you know, I don't No, I've, I've told that to people that if Broadway were anywhere else, I yes. think I'd be happier. Oh but, yeah. But because I'm really only in New York because Broadway is here. Yeah. If Broadway were in Toledo, I'd be fine with that. Absolutely. You know, as you said, New York is kind of its own hurdle to get over. I mean, there's the auditioning. That's yeah. its own hurdle. The performing, the classes, yeah. the getting to networking. The fact no that it's networking. cold for like 10 months a year. Right. You know? The weather. I mean, like everything yeah. about the city from, mm -hmm. from the living here to the weather is its own challenge to overcome. And then there's the business yeah. itself, which is, you know, the whole reason why we're here. I so I, th I think that being in New York certainly has its own drawbacks. It can push us away sometimes. Yeah. As, as much as yeah. it's energetic and we love it, it can so push too. us away sometimes. After too. years, I mean, you said like 10 years was the same thing. It's, you know, the years weigh on you. You mm -hmm. know, and my friends that are, are like four or five years in, they still love it. And I loved it that many years ago. You know what I mean? I, I remember five <laughs> years ago, I was still like, I'm going to make it. It's uh, just a, no. These casting directors, they exactly. don't know. But at the same time, what I will say, because it has also been my experience, and I'm saying this for myself too with all my future goals that I've set out, but it's like, it still to me really is true that it's basically the people who don't stop that eventually keep going and find it to where, mm -hmm. they, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even if that means 15 years in the future or 20, it's like, I know people who have like, gotten that you know have worked regionally nonstop, played great roles done all this stuff but never been on broadway and then like 20 years into their career they get a broadway show yeah and then sometimes they become like a broadway name right after that and it's it's so wild how that happens but i just think and i've also seen like in turn what really breaks my heart a lot because i have felt this emotion so many times but i have never given into it is I've watched a lot of my friends too in that place we're talking about where you kind of struggle and you're like, oh, I'll just keep going for a little while. But they've kind of mentally given up. They've mm -hmm. sort of like emotionally decided that they're not good enough, they're not going to make it. That's the other sick game that we play in our heads is that we're not good enough to do it yeah. because the validation hasn't shown up. I was convinced the year before I booked Rent off-Broadway, even though it felt more like a Broadway show, but the year before I booked that, I was convinced that I just wasn't good enough to do it. I was like, I'm not a good enough singer. I'm not a good enough actor. There's a little Broadway club and I'm not in it for a reason. And I actually, I always tell the story. I don't know if he's ever heard this before, but Adam Chandler Brett and I, who are now buddies, didn't know each other before Rent. And I was waiting tables one day at Vinyl. And I looked out the window at a street fair and he's out there with Jen Damiano and they're like, you know, yucking it up. And I'm just looking at him like, oh, Broadway guy, you know, like he thinks he's so cool. Like, what a I bet he's a jerk, you know, like right? I was really. Of course, of course. You want space. them to be assholes. Oh, yeah. Because then it's like, well, uh, well, well then know. of course he had to do that <laughs> exactly. in order to make it. To, I don't, I'm better than exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And then a year later, I get the show and we're like best friends and, <laughs> you know, and I realize like, oh, I'm, I wasn't ever not good enough to do this. I just was A, standing in my own way and B, like, Life puts those obstacles up for a while. Yeah. That's just how it goes. No, and and you speak to something that I've that I've spoken about before on the mm -hmm. podcast, and that is jealousy, looking at others, and, and that comparison. Yes, and it is, it, it it really is deadly, and it's something that that I I catch in myself all the time. Sure, and, and 
I do my darndest to, yeah. to not give into it. But We're it all is human. It, you know? Yeah, it is just so hard yeah. to, to look at, at especially friends yeah. the, who, who, who you know really well. That's true. And, and you also love and, yeah. you, and you support them. But it's like, you know, like, well, they're getting it. Like, I know. And someone's got to get in these shit. Why am I not? So I it's, it's really tough. Well, I mean, look, you know, I'll go on this rant, too, because I think it's funny. You, you know this. Our, our mutual friend, my girlfriend, Tessa Grady, yes. has, uh, I'll bring her up, because she, she's one of these people who sometimes I even look at, where I'm like, she's younger than me. She's been <laughs> in the city less time. She's yeah. booked more Broadway shows than I have. Right. She loves her life. Everything's right. perfect. Now, she struggles, too, clearly. I mean, I'm on the inside. I she know goes through she weeks goes through it, of right? not... Working? Absolutely. Weeks. Weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she goes through all the stuff. I mean, she goes I through the demons does. of her own mind and her own career and, you know, climbing up the ladder and the other people in the business and all the stuff we go through. But the reason I'm speaking to her in a sort of a positive light is that I've really come to believe that, like, one of the reasons she keeps getting this stuff happening is that she's manifesting, like, this good energy. And she's she's believing in herself on some intrinsic level. And that's that key thing, walking in an audition room. Sometimes it's naivete sometimes it's like deep deep connection to the universe Mm -hmm. and everything in between and i've done both but it's like you know they want someone when you walk in who's like hey what's up you ready to do this i'm ready to go what do you want to do right they don't want someone who's like hi thank you for letting me come in today like i hope hope i do okay i hope you give me a call back right they don't want someone desperate of course right and i think even for i think when we get to a certain level we're all pretty confident and there's that like minuscule like fine line thing of like some of like I, I can feel it on myself I'll go in for an audition I'll walk out and be like that was it I'll go in for one I'll be like why did I not nail that like oh I kind of like freaked out a little you know what yeah. I mean? and so whatever but I just always use her as an example because it actually made me realize that you know I'm always the guy who's like well it's hard you're gonna have to do this it's gonna be awful and blah 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 and then there's like people like her that are this example that like sometimes <laughs> it's not that hard you know yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Some of us have to like jump over a mountain, yeah. and then other people have to like step over an exactly, anthill exactly. to get there. But at it's, the same time, they have their yeah. own sort of. I mean, I remember, you know, she's a good example, and so are some of my friends now who did Spring Awakening years ago. A lot of them had instant success, like in high school or college, immediately. And now, like, talk to me, and they're like, oh, man, like, is your cover track open in that show? Because I'd love to go in for it. And it's like, things change over time, you know? And, like, Tess actually had a lot of, like, early success and then had a lot of setbacks early on that now have put her in a place of, like, restarting certain things. And, you know, everyone's on their own path and their own journey. And so it's, like, a weird thing. I just like her as an example because even someone as jaded and bitter as me who was like, man, this kid doesn't know what she's lucky to have. You know, she has kind of taught me that, like, there's actually a mental space that exists that I think really helps and that's sort of belief and trust in the universe and belief and trust in yourself and your own passion the reason you came here in the first place and I think the more we hold on to that and the more we like tap into that Mm -hmm. and stop letting the city and the business kind of get in our heads and get us down the more successful we're going to be because ultimately we do have to get back to the basics about why we're doing this like do you love to sing yes well then sing it's like every day do you love to be a character and tell a story then tell the story yeah Yeah. like that was the transition that I had to go through because I came here Broadway was the goal I worked toward that I was auditioning I was going Uh to the one-on-ones and the class like that was the goal Mm -hmm. and then over the years as that didn't happen then I started to be okay well maybe I need to do this you know then I started trying different things and then over the last I would say a couple of years then it got to all right I need to finally start doing 
what yeah, I enjoy. Just do the if work. it means that I go to you know, yes. you know, to this regional theater <laughs> and get to do Man of La Mancha for 300 bucks a week. And to me, that's manifesting then, in the same way. It's like, yeah. a, you know, I say this all the time, but it's like, <clears throat> I, don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining. I've been very lucky. But honestly, like some of the Broadway shows I've done in my career have been the least enjoyable creative process for me of my career. And the ones I've done out of town or, you know, regionally or, or off Broadway have been these beautiful, like, soul-fulfilling, enriching mm-hmm. experiences. And... I think like there's a real thing to you're, you're saying it perfectly, which is like, you know, we also can get too distracted with the goal of like, I want to be in a certain place. I want to be on Broadway. I want this many followers. I want my name here mm-hmm. as opposed to what did you get into it for? What yeah. was the fun of it? If you follow the fun, it's like they say in the music business. They're like, don't try to write a hit single, write music that speaks to your heart. And if it's true, a thousand people, a million people, however many people will listen to it. You right. know what I mean? And it's the same with this. I think what happened even to me was like, I was trying to get to Broadway in my early, early 20s. It wasn't going well. I wasn't doing well. I was too focused on that goal. I went out of town regionally. I got much more comfortable doing some of the best work I've ever done in my career, having the most fun doing all of that. And then I came back to New York being like, okay, well, you know, that's what I'm in it for and we'll see what happens. And then boom, 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 things like opened up. Hmm. So I do agree with you. I think that's, all, you know, Every day, for some reason, the city and the business really like to, it's been the consensus, every person I've ever talked to, whatever age, place in their career, whatever, the consensus is that the city gets in our heads and it like starts to bring us down and it starts to make us looking at, look at all the, um, the superficial stuff. How many followers do I have? Is my name above title? Is the, you know, did I get this show? Am I the cover or the swing or the standby? Like it's like all these things that don't really matter. Yeah. I was watching this news program and someone put it so succinctly. Mm -hmm. They said, the grass isn't greener. It just uses a better filter. Mm. Like that's really all it is. (laughs) It's like, it's like we're looking for that thing, but really it's just a different filter. It's a different angle. It's a different, it's a different journey. Yeah. that someone else is on. So for us to compare and look at in the distance, yeah. it, it doesn't apply to us. I always say that. We never know what people are going through anyway. We're yeah. always comparing, you know? I did it for a while too with like celebrities that I, you know, or these people in our business that I was like, oh, they're so whatever. And then I'd like work with some of them and be like, oh, they got demons. They got things, you yeah. know? Like there's always stuff. I remember when I was in my early 20s, I literally thought, I was like, well, if you get to Broadway, you have a house and a car and a boat, you know, and it's great. <laughs> a boat. Yeah, I thought there was a boat. a boat that came with Broadway. Yeah, I, really I mean, did. the house, but a <laughs> boat. But the boat. As long as you get a boat. Yeah, and then I, like, got here, and I was like, how come I still can barely pay my bills? Like, what's, go-? you know, like, yeah, it's it's not, like you said, grass is, you know, always greener. Yeah, so we've drifted. Yes, so, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I no, no, I know, I love that. <laughs> so getting back to, so getting back to performing, uh-huh. so... After you had had booked rent, th- did that kind of propel you into uh, like did. okay, I'm a working actor now? Yeah, I mean, not only yes, I think not only mentally did it shift me. I mean, look, it was like I said before, it was off Broadway, but it was that sort of weird in between thing at New World stages where like it's pseudo Broadway. You know yeah. what I mean? It's you're doing an eight show week schedule. It's a lot of those shows from Broadway go there and they get smaller and you know, so it's right. really the same caliber of. I mean, Michael Greif directed it. It was the same thing. but it was less money and it was not technically on Broadway. But the point to that is that it made me feel like I could do it. Like it was an eight show a week, hard sing, 
and I was doing it, you know, and I had solos and I was like not messing up the solos and I was like doing a good job. So mentally I was like, oh, I guess I'm good enough to do this. And then also, sadly, like there is a little bit of snowball effect in this business that just always happens, which is like when you're the the hot ticket, you're the hot ticket. And when you drift out of that, they don't pay as much attention. And sometimes that's large scale stuff. Sometimes it's small scale. But for me, I found that like as soon as I got that show, the doors open to these other shows where people yeah. wanted to start seeing me audition for these parts and you know, I literally, the next show I booked after that was Wicked. The music director of Rent had me come in for one day into a recording studio to do a demo of a new musical he had written. So I did a quick one-off, you know, freebie demo day. And the the um, associate music director on that project was also the associate at Wicked. And I had worked with him once before. And I said, hey, you know, just, you know, if you ever need a Bach, like, let me know. And he was like, well, would you tour? I was like, of course. He's like, well, let me see what I can do. And they, at that moment, needed someone on tour. So he made a call and was like, I think this guy could work out. I'm not even sure if they really saw anyone else. I think I had a quick one audition just to see if, like, pre-screen thing to, like, you know. And then I booked it the next day. That's, and so, like... I mean, yeah. Yeah, that, that's the fairy tale. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. but, the, but the funny thing was I had auditioned for Wicked for the same role five years earlier. Right. Gone through eight callbacks, gotten towards the end with, like, ten other guys and gotten nowhere near it. You yeah. know what I mean? No, no, no. And I have a similar story that mm -hmm. whenever Adam's Family was on Broadway... Mm -hmm. These equity chorus calls. Yep. Sometimes you go in, do your 16 bars, and they just cycle through. And right. then sometimes they'll bring in 10 at a time, yeah. and they'll go down the line, and they'll say, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Yeah. You literally you haven't out. sung a <laughs> note. You Ooh. have not even said hello. They literally bring you in, in yeah. a line, and they just look at your resume, look at you, and send you off or keep you. That's and cool. if they keep you, then you get to sing. Yeah. Well, I was let go. Yeah, I was let go. They, they yeah. were like, "No, no, Fine. get out of here." I didn't say He's anything, not didn't do tall anything. enough. Yeah, or something. <laughs> oh yeah. And then three, two or three mm. years later, then I auditioned for the tour, and then I'm Lurch understudy. Well, that's what so, always happens. Yeah, it's timing. It's not that I couldn't do Lurch. No. It's just that at that time yeah. they weren't looking, or I. I, I, I love right. stories like that. It's so important. I feel like for people to hear those because it's also like. I don't know how you felt, but for me in that moment of the first moment of those stories, it's like you feel like it's never going to happen. You're not good enough. What are you even – like you're never going right. to blah, blah, blah. It's like all I did was stand there and they I didn't know. want me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or I always tell the story too that, you know, for me, I had been – I booked Rent, you know, when I did. But for like five years before that, I had been auditioning with Telsey and Company who cast that. And – auditioning and callbacks and stuff but never booking a job for like five years mm. so my head was like they don't even know who i am this is ridiculous i'm never going to book anything what am i doing finally at the opening night party of rent the casting director came up to me and she was like i'm so glad you got this job we're so excited for you we've been trying to get you a job for five years we just think you're great and it was just timing with each director and everyone loves you but like we thank god this worked out and i was like what like it occurred to me in that moment that our careers happen behind closed doors we don't even know. I, I honestly believe that most of our career happens out of our sight. Completely. Because the same thing happened to me. I was in a class with Mary Sugarman, uh -huh. who's with Tara Rubin casting. Yeah. And so this is after, you know, three years or so of kind of doing this audition and that audition with, with someone in the Tara Rubin office sure. and, you know, among all my other auditions. Yeah. And so then I finally do this group class with Mary Sugarman. And as I was singing and she's giving notes, she then holds up. My, my headshot, and she said, we were in a meeting with Tara Rubin, and Tara Rubin said, how can we get this guy a job? Unbelievable. And I was just like, "Yeah, Tara Rubin's talking about? Yeah. What, what, you want to get me a job? I know. So it's like, I never even thought 
that I was in their minds. No, not at all. We, yeah, if anything, I at the time was thinking the opposite. I was like, right. they hate me. Right, right, you know? right, right. They never beat me in. They never call it me never back. never occurred to me that they were calling me in for auditions all the time. It was like, you know, of course they don't hate us. It's yeah. like, you know, yeah, it's very, very true. And I think that's just more to like stay out of your own way, you know, just do your yeah. best work and forget about it. And that's actually one reason why I was so happy to have you on the show. Oh, because, because, <laughs> is that you, you've been on both sides of that, of, yeah. of the, of the struggles and, and the, the times when it's like, well, yeah. maybe I just need to do something else. Absolutely. But then also you've seen the benefit of sticking with it. Yeah. And, and what can result in that. The booking it is just as much hard work as it is luck. Yep. And, and, and as you said, our careers really fall somewhere in between. Yeah. And sometimes we're going to get something more on luck. Sometimes we're going to get something more on our hard work. Mm-hmm. And you never know which yeah. it's going to be. Because right. I've had those auditions where it's like four or five in and I don't feel any closer to it. Yeah. And then I've had the one where I was in there for 10, 15 minutes. Exactly. And then three days later, it. I book it. You know, we always get those auditions where it's like, okay, this one, I want this one. I've got three others this week and they're whatever, but I want this one, you know? And right away I'm like, well, you're probably not going to get that one. Because like, that's how you're thinking about it. And like, yeah. and, and more importantly, like, that one, whatever it is, you know, was always the one I, I never booked. I never did Book of Mormon. I never did Spider-Man. I haven't done Waitress even. You know, it's like these things that like I thought I was like, I got that Waitress appointment. I was like, Tess. I was like, this is my next job, girl. Like, here we go. Mm-hmm. I got in there. They're like, thanks. Like, nobody liked it. Nobody laughed. Nobody was into it. Also, I like ran into a buddy of mine talking about comparing where I was like, that guy's going to book it. He did. I was like, yes, nail it. Great. Right. But like, and I love him. Meanwhile, like two other auditions that I had that week, I got callbacks for and almost booked. It's like, you know, again, I never thought, Talk Everlasting was like a reading I did seven years ago that I remember when I first did it, I was like, I don't think this thing will ever come around. And it became like the first show I ever originated. Like it, and literally I looked around one day when I was doing it, I was like, what the heck? Like this is happening? Mm. This is like my next Broadway credit? Like cool, but like. Why? I thought it was going to be all these other things, you know? So going back to your first Broadway contract, what Mm. was that like? What was that moment like for you? It was wild. I mean, it was, luckily it did have all the sort of good moments that you hope for for Mm -hmm. a second where you're like, holy crap, this happened, you know? Um, But it also was very real, very fast. I mean, it, I think I was expecting like, you know, the, the gates to open and they're, they they hand you a martini and they're like, welcome, son. You <laughs> you're know? in the like, club Exactly. Now. And instead they're like, okay, five, six, seven, eight, great. And you're like, oh, geez. Like it's, so, you know. So wait, this, this is, is not a show different? just like any other. Exactly. So I still have to rehearse? Exactly. You know, and so, you know, especially, it was, I actually am very grateful for the way I did it because I really thought like my Broadway debut was going to be like a new show and an originating role or I wanted or like it was going to be it was going to be something I had always been passionate about. Mm-hmm. And really it was like Wicked, which is a show I love, but like was never like crazy about. And it was I had done it on tour for a year and then they liked me. And so then I did it, you know, in New York and I became more crazy about the show once I did it, to be honest with you. But um, it was just one of these things where like. I OK, so and also the other thing that happened was I, I gave my notice on the tour because I was supposed to go do Tuck Everlasting on Broadway. That was going to be my Broadway debut. We were scheduled to go to the Colonial Theater in Boston and go immediately to Broadway. So in that time, I was still on the tour, but I had given my notice. And I got word that the whole project had been pulled and that we weren't going to Boston and we weren't going to Broadway. And they called me. They're like, I'm so sorry. And of course, I couldn't go back to tour because they had hired my replacement. Right, because you're gone. Because I was gone. So I was like, ooh. So I was devastated for like a long time. And then, well relatively long because 
24 hours later, <laughs> they called me and said, so we did get you a job. You're going to be in Wicked on Broadway. And I was like, what? And, the, you know, and I, and I, you know, I cried and I jumped up and down and I literally like, oh my God, 10 years of work or plus is here and it's going to happen, you know? And my son was with me that day and I was like crying. He's like, why are you crying? And I was like, I got to Broadway. So, you know, it was like this whole thing. And, and then I, and then I got there. And, you know, I had already been doing the show, so there was very little to learn. There were some adjustments to make, and I started doing it. But I tell you, sir, that I was so nervous for the first week and a half. I had done this I, show for a year. Of course. Right? But for some reason, you put but, me on that stage. Yeah, now it's and a I was Broadway shaking. stage. You yeah. know, I, I couldn't eat. I was, like, in the bathroom every five seconds. Like, it was, like, I, I remember being, like, what is wrong with you? Like, it's the same show. But there was just something about the stakes to me that... Felt big. I remember thinking like, well, you never know who could be in the audience. Like, you know, Stephen Sondheim could be here tonight. We don't know. Maybe he's right. checking out Wicked. Right. We don't know. Of course. <laughs> um, oh, the things we tell ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and then pretty quickly, and there were great things that happened from it. I mean, I, it, there is an element of like feeling like I was accepted by a community, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and everyone loves to, my favorite thing is everyone loves to be like, oh, yeah. The people who have known me for years have been like, oh, I've, I've always known, you know. Um, casting directors have been like, oh, well, we always knew you were gonna. And I'm like, oh, yeah, did you? Because I didn't work for 10 years. You know? um, yeah. And then the people who, most of the people who had never heard of me were like, where'd you come from? Who, did you just graduate? All this stuff. And I was like, I've been working for 10 years. Like, I think it drives me nuts even still that people think I'm like brand new to this career because my, my short Broadway stint has only existed recently. Right. So they think that's my whole life and my whole career. And I'm like, I've been doing theater professionally at reputable places for years, but it's like, you know, it's just how people think of it. If it's not on Playbill.com, it like didn't happen. You know exactly, like, because you and I first met. Yes, this was this oh, was boy. in 2010, I think. This was that 2010, right. to me, yeah. and we were doing a a workshop uh -huh. of a of a new musical yeah. at the time, and it was based on Lanford Wilson's play yep. Balm and Gilead. Correct. It was called Rain Dogs. Yes, and that that's where you and I met for the first time, and so uh -huh. that was. What was that? How many years after you had finished school? Um, yeah, I guess it what was that 2010. You said 2010. I graduated Circle in 2006, so that was yeah. like like four yeah, years. So four years into it, so so you were still on your journey. Yeah. Not not on Broadway. Nope. Not on. Yeah. No, I was. You know, I was lucky to get that job because. Oh, I was oh believe like, me, I was. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I was like I, yeah. a workshop. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'll I got do brought this. in. I think by a friend. Like like she had been cast already, and they right. wanted someone to play opposite her and. She suggested me, and like it yeah, was, you know. I don't even think I had a good audition. Oh, I had like, a horrible like, audition. Yeah, like I went in and sang this song that I was just learning, and was like, oh, I need something contemporary. Sure. So I pulled this contemporary song, kind of learned oh. it, and I, and it was not a great. No. I kind of did some weird things with it because <laughs> I didn't know the song as well as I should have. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But I guess they saw something. I know, and you never know. And yeah. then you know that experience was bizarre as ever as I recall. <laughs> like it was just yeah so for those of you listening so yeah. what this was is a week-long workshop and we went out to bay street theater which is in the hamptons yep. and for that week long we just workshopped different music numbers they, they did some rewriting and so after you know five five days i think of rehearsal yeah. then we presented kind of like a stage concert reading yeah. something. Oh, and by the way, they told us the day before, by the way, we've sold tickets to this, so there'll be like 200 people here, right. and they're each paying like 40 bucks. Oh, and, we were like, and what? cast, if you'll please... <laughs> 
turn uh, Lanford Wilson, yep. the playwright, yeah, is right. here. He's, He's here. just going to talk to us now. After the show. Right. Yeah, that was a weird experience. They're not usually yeah. quite like that yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, but that was fun. I, I guess that they had aspirations for it, but yeah. I've not heard anything oh, of it no. since then. No, I, I actually talked to that guy, that director and writer and everything, and it's still kicking around, but it's, you know, it's, it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell. So yeah. it's, you know. We have a lot of those. I mean, I've done workshops and readings for years, and mm-hmm. most of them have not panned out. You know? Yeah, yeah, and People yeah. just never even yeah, know that's about the thing. Yeah. I think my parents are still trying to figure that out, and my grandparents especially. They're like, so when is this one going to happen? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, it may never happen. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Right. Well, they're like, don't worry, because this one's coming. I'm like, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. You never know where your next opportunity is going to come from. Yeah. And something from... From a while back yeah. that you were you had put out of your mind, and then all of a sudden, hey, we're well, gonna do another it. reading or workshop. With yeah, this. and like just don't poo-poo anything, man. You know, it's like there's there's these things. I think it's so easy to again like you focus on the ones you really really want or the ones that you think are gonna whatever. And it's like I did not think Talk Everlasting was gonna happen right. at a certain point. You, if you don't, but but I was always pleasant to work with. I was always kind. I always did my best. Like I worked my butt off in that show. And it ended up working out. You know, I have a producer friend of mine who was in Susicle with me on Theater Works. Mm-hmm. And she's now become like a big producer and does a bunch of things, not just theater. And she's putting in money to produce my solo album that's happening now. Look because she literally saw me post something online and said, I want to be a part of this. I think we could collaborate. And we teamed up. And we're now back in each other's lives after 10 years. And it's been this amazing professional and personal relationship. You never know who's going to be anyone you know, ever. So I think it's important to be kind and generous and it's just important to do that anyway. You know, there is the professional aspect of networking and you never know, you know, who you're going to meet and you never know in what situation you're going to be in. And, and I know like for national tours, especially this is something they look for. You're not just auditioning for your talent. You're auditioning. What are you like 24 hours a day to hang out with and like, are are you going to be someone that people will want to work with on a tour 24 seven basis? Because it's so much about your attitude and Mm -hmm. and how you are around other people totally i know people a lot of people who don't get jobs because they're not great people you know um and and vice versa i know a lot of people who get a lot of jobs because they're great to work with and you go they're not that great you know like like, they're a little kind of bitchy yeah you know (laughs) um and so it's really you know i think the goal is to be able to do both well right that gets back to what we were talking about before of if you're doing what you're passionate about if you Get back to the basics of, of the singing or the storytelling yeah. or the writing or directing, whatever part that you're playing. If you yeah. get back to the basics of this is why I'm here yeah. and you stick with that and you, and you find the joy and the passion of it, then that's going to exude in the relationships and how you treat people yeah. because you're so, you're so grateful for what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> I just took that in for a minute. I was like, yeah, like, you're right. That's nice. <laughs> so looking forward to the future, what's coming up for you? And throw out a bucket list. What have you been yeah. thinking about? What have you been looking Well, looking I toward? will. I'll do that. Why not? I, yeah. I want to do good work. I want to work with good people. I would like to work often just so I don't have to like be bored out of my mind, you know, which is what happens when I don't work. You know, immediately what's going on next is I'm, I'm going to go back on tour with Wicked. Um, it's going to be crazy Love it. for about a year. I have workshops and stuff coming up. I think this thing I've been working on a little bit that um, I've been talking about is called The Wanderer. And they're doing a lot of these bio musicals lately of like Cher and you know Donna Summer. And right. uh, one that we're doing that we're working on is about Dion DeMucci, who wrote Run Around Sue and The Wanderer and um, you know all these hits from the 50s. And they're great, great 
songs and I play him in the in the workshop and it's just it's one of these ones where like the script is actually brilliant so that's a passion project of mine that I think has you know hopefully some legs next year uh, we're looking at nothing official but it's looking good um I mean that said I also am really working hard on this totally other separate passion of mine which is music me and my band have this thing going on and we're yeah, you'd mentioned producing an album yeah we're in the studio tomorrow actually we're going to do a couple days of recording and uh, on this little EP that we're doing and I'm proud of it already I think it's gonna be great it should be released sometime in January mm-hmm. which will be good um, my problem has always been that I like doing all of it I don't just like one thing yeah jack of all trades master of none you know mm-hmm. and so like it's hard to be taken seriously as a serious actor when you're also a comedian. And it's hard to be taken seriously as a comedian when you're like a serious actor and you know, all this. So I would love to do it all. It would like make my soul so happy if one day I was standing with a guitar and I looked out and there were like eh, three to 4,000 people there. You know yeah, what I mean? Let's be realistic. That's a good right? number. And yeah. I get to do a whole concert that's just me and get paid to do it like that and go on tour with my band. That would yeah. be amazing to me. I bet. Um, so we'll see. And, and that said, None of it may happen, you know, like I may do none of it or I may do all of it and everything in between. And, you know, who knows? I don't know. But what I know is that I'm not going to stop pursuing the art. I care too much about the music. I care too much about the storytelling, directing. I want to do a lot of directing and teaching and that stuff. You hear these stories about famous actors like Steve Martin. You know, Uh he he wrote a Broadway musical, but we also know him from all the movies and Saturday Night Live. But then he also plays banjo and, and does like bluegrass. I know. You know, and then Tony Bennett. Phenomenal performer, right. and he paints. Yeah. So it's yeah. these people who, just because they're good at one artistic expression, they want to venture yeah. into other, other areas. So maybe maybe you will be jack of all trades maybe and master of them. Maybe that. Again, I think the universe sort of steers you this way if you let it. Like finding what you're here for in terms of service, in terms of like helping other people. Yeah. Like, you know, someone once said to me, like, they were insecure about their voice for years and years and years in the business until someone said to them, did it ever occur to you that people like listening to you sing and that by singing you're actually like giving someone something that they enjoy? And she was like, oh my God, you're right. And she took her head right out of it. She said, I'm no longer going to do this for like, look at me. I'm going to do this for like, what can I give you? And I think we so often stray away from that because it seems like we're you know cocky or this or that but the reality is like take yourself out of it and realize that you can give something to the community you can give something to the audiences and you know i think that if that's the driving force then of course it's going to be met with Mm -hmm. good energy you know i think that's a great way to end it (laughs) well there you go (laughs) well thank you so much mike for joining me on the show this has been a great conversation it's drifted a little bit of everywhere. Oof, everywhere. But that's how it. our conversations usually go. <laughs> yes, it is. So and thank you so much for listening. Coming up next week, I've got another Spotlight Series bonus episode where I'll be speaking with Ann Jacobs, who is a composer herself, but also teaches musical theater composition at the New York Youth Symphony Program. That will be split up between an audio portion where I interview her and another video podcast portion where I'll be featuring interviews with the students in her class. And speaking of the New York Youth Symphony, don't forget about our giveaway of two free tickets to the orchestra's December 2nd concert. Retweet, repost any of the posts that you see on Instagram or Twitter regarding the New York Youth Symphony and you'll not only be entered to win the two free tickets, if you don't win, you'll still get a 25% off discount code toward any tickets you wish to purchase. I'm Patrick Oliver-Jones. Until then, keep making it and have a great day.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 